0: Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome back to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. I hope you're all well. Continuing on with the Paralympic theme, I am joined by Dan Bethel, team GB member and para badminton player. He successfully claimed the silver medal at this year's Tokyo 2021 Games. Let's find out the whole story. Good afternoon, Dan. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle.
1: Good afternoon, eh? Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, no, thank you so much for coming on to onto the podcast. Dan, do you just want to tell listeners, certainly at the moment, I mean, what are you most famous for at the moment?
1: So I'm a power badminton player. I'm a, a GB international power badminton player, and I've just come back from the uh, Paralympic Games where I was uh, very, very fat, fortunate enough to win a silver medal. So yeah, so no, wow, was very, very exciting uh, last month. Thank you very much. No,
0: no, it's absolutely phenomenal. As I say, what an amazing achievement. Okay, so before we even talk about the Paralympic Games, let's go back to the very beginning when you were a kid. Um, you know, and let's just tell listeners as well because I, it, it's important to highlight. What qualifies you for the Paralympic Games?
1: So I'm, uh, I've am i got, a, just to be called cerebral palsy. Specifically, I've got a right-sided hemiplegia. So it's a neurological um, impairment. So it affects sort of my motability in, in my right leg and my right arm. It affects muscle. I've got very, like, my muscles are very tight in that leg compared to my other leg and, yeah, a, yeah. A, and an able-bodied person as well. And I've got limited sort of function in my hands and, and my feet as well.
0: Right. So as a kid then, Grown up, what was what was it like, you know, growing up with cerebral palsy as a child?
1: So it was—it's never something that's ever sort of impacted my life greatly because I was very fortunate with sort of my parents and uh, were very keen on not sort of make make a big deal out of it obviously yeah. when when i was sort of born and stuff and doctors were talking about going to sort of special schools and clubs that are specifically for uh people with disabilities but uh, my parents were very keen on not going down that route and just treating me like sort of everybody else i was yeah. very fortunate i've got a an older brother and my my whole family's very big on sport like they've all my grandparents, aunties and uncles all played sports, specifically racket sports, which is right. where I got it from. So they sort of very keen on, just encouraged me to go into sport, basically following my brother. I played all sorts of sports when I was a kid. I played rugby, football, cricket, sort of the lot. It never sort of impacted my life greatly at all.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. We just talked about racket sports being huge in the family then. Yeah. At what age was it when you started playing a racket sport, whether it be badminton, tennis? <laughs>
1: yeah so tennis tennis was my first sport so my, my auntie and uncle were uh both uh both deaf and they were on the deaf professional tennis tour so i think they were wow. right up there like what well, world number one and world number two or something like that on the deaf wow. tennis circuit so so got some sort of athletes in the family so tennis is yeah, yeah. my first ball and i think i I was playing it as soon as i can walk really like was a <laughs> I can never remember time when I wasn't playing tennis. That was sort of my first initial introduction into the world of racket sports, and then, and then it came to uh, two thousand and eight when I was twelve. I was watching the uh, the Beijing Paralympics, and that was my first memory, and sort of exposure to watching parasport sport and people like me with disabilities and other disabilities.
0: Would that uh, have been? Would that been two 2000- thousand? Eight,
1: 2008 2008 2008, yes. yeah. 2008 2008 yes so yeah so that was sort of my first exposure to to watching power sport and I thought that that was amazing seeing people with the same impairments as me doing these amazing sort of physical feats yeah yeah that's sort of where I got sort of inspired to to get involved with uh power sport so I looked up tennis that was sort of my first course cool because obviously that was sort of my background I played a, a decent level of uh, tennis in the able-bodied a- system. So I was like a county sort of regional standard tennis wow. player. I had no, no sort of ambitions or ability to get to like a grand slams level yeah, or anything yeah. like that, but I was a, a decent enough tennis player. So, so I looked at power uh, tennis to see if there was a route in there. And obviously wheelchair tennis is one of the, the biggest sports in the Paralympic Games. So I yeah. thought there might be a, a category for my my disability, but unfortunately there, there wasn't that was in the, the Paralympic Games or so there was no mm. sort of competitions for someone with my impairment. Right. So I sort of just thought, okay, that's disappointing, but I was still really keen on getting involved in power sport. And then it was literally just a Google search. We just looked up sort of power sports and then power badminton came up. And at the, at the time I'd never played much badminton. I played a bit in, in school in yeah. PE, but, uh, so, but I knew I always loved racket sports. So I thought, okay, I'll sort of give that a go. And then I, I just found a local club, started playing badminton in 2009. And, uh, then I, play my first uh, national tournament in 2010, I think wow. it was. And uh yeah, the rest was history. I was I was awful <laughs> when I first started. I walked in really yeah, I was terrible. Like I I thought walked in because I'd only ever played against A-body kids. Yay. I thought, well, surely playing against people with one leg or no legs is going to be really easy. So I just walked in sort of a bit naive about it all because I was only about 13, 14 at the time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I got absolutely wiped off the court I don't think I won a match for at least the first year two years of really of competition so yeah so no but I sort of just kept in the sport because although I wasn't winning I just met so many amazing people and people like me because growing up um, where, where I did and I in schools I didn't sort of meet a lot of people with disability. So that was sort of my first real exposure and just sort of learned so many just sort of life lessons of how to live yeah. with a disability, both from the band side and off court. And that's really what kept me in the it, sport.
0: It's really interesting that that off your own back, watching the Paralympic games, that like you you sourced a club that, that offered a para sport. Now yeah. I, I've worked, been fortunate to work with some groups in, in my local area. And I found that some of those people almost don't admit to the disability, and yeah. they, they want to be with able-bodied people all the time, and yeah. and I don't know if that's I, I'm not sure what what why the why the reason is. There might be some more underlying issues that I'm not aware of at the time. But so I find it really interesting that you've went wow, I'd like to go and join the Paris sport one. And as you said, you were already playing at a really competitive level tennis at, at county level yeah. with the able-bodied. Talk. Can you just explain what made you want to go and try that? Because I, I'm genuinely, I yeah. think that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was, I'd always still loved playing against everybody people. I wanted to do that more because that's such, and playing against everybody players in any sport with when you've got a disability, obviously it just adds an element to a challenge. You have to yeah, start. I always felt like I had to work like twice as hard because I had this sort of limitation. And, and for me, it's still something I do in training day in, day out to this day because it's such a good thing for me because obviously the game's a lot faster and yeah. stuff like that. So it, it helps my training massively. But yeah, I was just really sort of keen to sort of, it was just about meeting other people like me. And yeah. as I said, there's so many things that just in day-to-day life that people, A-worldy people often take for granted. Stuff like tying my shoelaces and opening jars and little things yeah. like that. Like I can tie my shoelaces, so I was about... 20 in my 20s like early 20s and it's right. just like little things like that like tricks of how to tie your shoelaces one-handed and stuff like that so that's what really sort of encouraged me to, to stay yeah. in power sport when i found it just because i learned just met so many great people like me and i just learned so much from different individuals that they just really sort of inspire me to keep keep going
0: i, I genuinely I, f- I find that really I find, I find that really inspiring i think that's fantastic yeah. um no i i love the fact that twelve as a 12 year old You've, yeah. you've went out of your own back to discover a power sport and you've... Did you fall in love with badminton straight away, even though you weren't winning them?
1: Yes, I did. And a big part of that was sort of the social side of things, because it wasn't... At the time when I joined, badminton wasn't in the Paralympics, so it's, yeah. it made its debut in Tokyo this year, but... Even though I want, I thought that'd be cool to go to the palace. It was one of like those dreams. But it was like sort of one of those dreams I think every kid has at one stage in, yeah. in their life. Oh, I'd love to be a professional athlete. I'd love to be a professional football. But it's one of those things. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just it just I just fell in love with badminton mainly because the sport was great for an encore. But it was the off court stuff that sort of made made me sort of stick with it and we always sort of reminisce now me and my teammates we look back at how it was compared to it is now and the things we always talk about we never really talk about oh do you remember this match and that match and he beat him and stuff like that it's just we always just talk about the off-court stuff and the the bands we had as a squad and that's the sort of the memories that I sort of treasure most and that's what really did keep me in the sport when i started
0: no it's fantastic that's a can you you talk about a year later doing your first national championships then but you said you hadn't maybe you hadn't won a a game for the first year or two what was that first national championships like then
1: oh um the first one that i went to it was amazing it was sort of went in didn't really didn't know anyone because it was my first time i was in manchester in 2010 and yeah, I, I remember turning up, seeing all these people with different disabilities. And I thought, oh, this is just quite a surreal sort of experience Play, playing with uh, dwarfs as well. I'd never really seen dwarfs just in day-to-day life, let alone playing badminton. And I, I always remember I stepped on court for my first match ever and I went 5-1 up. I went, wow, this is actually really easy. I'm going to walk it. And then I lost 21-6, <laughs> 21-2. <laughs> so I won three more points and he won, well... 41 so yeah, yeah. yeah so that's sort of a rude introduction that sort of like kept the trend going for, for the rest of the two <laughs> years but eventually I started to find my feet in the sport had a few, couple of years training out of my bath and, and started to win matches I always remember that the first sort of official England squad was announced in 2011 there wasn't sort of much structure around the sport before then but they badminton England put some money together and put form this first uh, England power squad and I for, for obvious reasons I wasn't included mainly because I'd won about two matches in my whole career <laughs> six points but, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but it was just like so cool I always remember seeing it over Facebook and seeing all the team get their kit and that's one of the things that really sort of inspired me when I first started seeing Beijing Paralympics one of the big, the big things was just the kit and yeah, I thought yeah. that'd be so cool just to have the tracksuit to be honest if I could, I, once I got my first England tracksuit I could retire happy that was sort of like <laughs> one of the things that I'd be like okay fine I've got one of these official tracksuits and that sort of all, like motivated me to keep training i thought okay so i want to get on that squad i want to be like them so it's just got to sort of beat them. Like I have to to get on that squad, I have to beat everyone that's on on the <laughs> yeah. squad now to sort of take take their spot. And then so that sort of I got my head down, started training a bit more, sort of sacked off the tennis completely. Cause when I first started, I was sort of doing both at the same time. Yeah. I was playing tennis twice a week, badminton once or twice a week, but then I sort of scrapped off the tennis and was trained badminton every day. And then slowly but surely I beat beat everyone in the squad sort of one by one. And then by 2013, I, I got into the uh, the international squad and was then going off to compete internationally.
0: Was was anyone in in the within the club saying to you, Dan, look, if you do really kind of you know get rid of the tennis and solely focus on badminton, we do genuinely think you've got potential to make that England squad.
1: Yeah, a lot of people within the, the power uh, badminton community and my uh, training because the point with two, two playing two racket sports at the same time, obviously, that they're very different school yeah. skill sets, techniques, and stuff. And you get like some transferable skills, the hand eye coordination being the main one, but yeah, yeah, playing like tennis, where it's very much using your arm, and the rackets are obviously a lot heavier, badminton is much more forearm and wrist, the techniques don't really work. So, yeah, 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 a lot of people were saying for my first like when i was losing because i was only young and i had a a, a good disability for, for playing badminton because i was very quick around the court they've said yeah, yeah. yeah if i really sort of commit to this i'll i'll like you will see, sort of see results and i think a few other players who had gone through similar experiences to me joined and weren't winning much when they started but by the time they had a few years of really committing themselves, so they were winning medals at the international stage so yeah i so can you remember? a lot
0: of encouragement can you remember when you won your first nationals
1: yeah so it was in 2012 in England in Nottingham and that oh, wow. uh sorry no, no it wasn't that was came on up then <laughs> no it was Wales so a few months later in 2012 so the Welsh international and yeah so the one before that was in, in Nottingham in England they do one in one of England Scotland Wales and Ireland sort of rotate for it, for right. it a year so I came off the one in England, beating the, the number one in England for the first time, so that was my big result, unfortunately yeah, yeah. lost in the final to the, the reigning world number one, and so wow. that gave me a lot of confidence and then yeah, came played in Cardiff, and then I went through my group what uh, beat yeah, I was just beating guys that had been beating me for for years, just one by one, very close matches, and yeah, to, to win my first one was amazing and sort of like made me feel like really sort of like, yeah, I'm there I can actually." Actually, do this. That was sort of my first sort of realisation that I could have potential in the, the international stage. Yeah,
0: and was it after those ones that you qualified for the England team to represent England?
1: Yes. So we had our a new coach come into the setup. It got a lot more after 2012, and I think a big part of that was. Uh, p- to do with like the Paralympics the in 2012 in yeah. London. It was that was sort of the big sort of when sport really got massive exposure and really became popular within yeah. the UK and and in the world. So there was a, a new structure sort of came in and the Barrington England employed a new head coach, Richard Morris, who's uh now the 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 GB coach and was our head coach out in Tokyo. And he sort of came in and sort of looked at me, saw, saw my potential as as a youngster. And yeah, he was the one who then brought me onto the squad at the beginning of 2013.
0: How often Never did you read. wear your tracksuit when you got it?
1: Oh, like as much <laughs> as I could, like, yeah, turn up to training. The first time it wasn't like, yeah, it was just sort of big red suits and like stuff like that. But I always remember, like, one thing that – always my first sort of memory of Rich was that we didn't have much money at all because we weren't a pit programme. Yeah, yeah. And we had no kit, like no official kit because there wasn't any, any money for it. And, and Rich and his wife did a charity ride – across the north of england like the, right. the width of the country to raise money to buy us all kit. so we were going to the world championships in dortmund at the end of 2013 that was my first international and yeah they did this charity ride and we went to a training camp and then they sort of like had all this kit bags clothes you name it, it was just underneath this tarpaulin and they said oh come over we've got a surprise and they just ripped it up and then they said yeah here's all your your kit and oh, it was like wow. an amazing to sort of be to think back to like when i saw it for the first time in beijing the yeah, GM yeah. kit to then actually have my own was was amazing for the first wow. first time i like mean what
0: a it. what a phenomenal thing for a coach and his wife to do to make the team feel part of
1: something
0: oh. i uh, b- 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 already part yeah. of some really special but then for them to go and do that off their own backs as well and then they provide oh. all with kit what that's a phenomenal gesture
1: yeah, no, oh, definitely. And it sort of set the tone for sort of their involvement in power, in power, badminton for sort of uh, up until now. They've just been amazing. And he was, Richard was young at the time, like he was only 23. Wow. He came into a joint, became a head coach of a national set. didn't have any sort of real experience with power sport. And then, yeah, sort of came in and did that for us. It just made us, we all just got this amazing sort of admiration for him and, and just a trust for him that he sort of had our backs and everything. So mm-hmm. we went out for, to competitions and stuff like so that. We knew he always had our best interests at heart and he's he's always done that for us up until this point. Like he's learned how he learned how to play wheelchair badminton just off his own back. So really that our, our wheelchair players ha- had another spa to play against so he, wow. he he's always gone sort of that extra mile for us all and that, that was sort of the start of it.
0: Wow it's phenomenal yeah that's 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 phenomenal I, that, yeah that's brilliant. I, I love hearing stories like that. So you talked about then you've got your you've got your first in and you've got your first England kit your tracksuit yeah. <laughs> and you talked about going to Dortmund for your first international yeah. tournament you know you've obviously you've got that confidence on beating well beaten world well England's number one and getting beat off world number one in the final yeah what was the level like though I know you've just getting beat off the world number one but I can imagine when yeah. the international tournament the level again everybody is at that yeah
1: level. everyone. Everyone was at that level, and for us badminton, it Asia was the most dominant force in badminton and in power badminton as well. So, uh, yeah, to turn up to an international, and you saw all these amazing countries. And at that time, we weren't a full-time, fully funded program, but a yeah. lot of those countries were. So that a lot of their athletes were professional, full-time right. athletes, and yeah, so the standard was just like where like so high. And then I came in, so this is this youngster. And I just remember being sort of so nervous. Started. I didn't eat at all. Like I barely ate. Like the whole week, I always oh, came out for my first tournaments. So like I kind of lose like a stone in a week because I just wouldn't eat. Because I'd just be so sort of nervous to play, really? and then. Wow. Yeah, and then like okay, I sort of came, went on for my first match, and it went well. Like I got through my group in in the singles, lost in in the last sixteen, very close wow. to to the Japanese guy who eventually got a bronze medal. So that was wow. yeah. quite quite a nice sort of start for me. But yeah, really? I do remember being ex- extremely nervous when I, when I first stepped on the court. Wow, I mean, is at, at
0: that time with no funding, I suppose there's nobody held to help combat that other than yourself and the, your team and the coach.
1: Yes, yeah, so yes, yeah, so we just sort of we're very lucky in in badminton. You have the coach at the the back of the court, and luckily, so I had sort of Rich behind me all the time, yeah. sort of guiding me during the matches, which was massive for me because he's a, so he was a former player himself, and uh, so he's had that sort of tournament experience because so all those sort of stuff, the the big m- nerves, the pre match nerves, that always obviously goes down with with the experience, and yeah, so now I've got can cope with it a lot better. But yeah, when I first started, it was so important to have sort of that team camaraderie behind me, sort of yeah. back me up and, suppose- and guide
0: me. I suppose moving forward, before we come back to where you were there, but moving forward now as a as a team member, I'm sure you're yeah. getting the sports psychologists and and everything now to help combat yes. against those things.
1: Yes, oh so definitely. Now we've sort of got got the works. We've got every sort of support service you can yeah, have. Yeah. right we, we do have a psychologist who we sort of work with, and then to just, just give some guidance and stuff. And it has, and it is a big part of it is. It's just sort of experience, just sort of yeah. learning from your mistakes and how to deal with it. And for me, one of my my biggest things sort of mentally was getting over like not eating before a match. Like yeah, yeah. I remember jumping a, a couple of years uh, back, it was 2015 World Championships in in England. And I was doing I was doing well at that point. I was world number one by then in wow. singles. I was always also in highly ranked in doubles and mixed doubles. So I was playing all three events. I got three three semif- finals, but the way the tournament was structured um, I ended up playing I think I played nine matches in 12 hours wow. on the Saturday and by the end of it I was just the the, the last match was the men's double semifinal and I could I could barely see I could barely I stand imagine, but yeah. I think like in that day I probably ate about two sandwiches and that was it <laughs> so I probably ate I probably put in about 500 calories and I yeah, must have yeah. burnt way over like 3,000 and that was sort of the point that I was like, okay, I need to sort out yeah, this. And then that's where having like psychologists come in to sort of help yeah. me and stuff like that was, was sort of massive, which we didn't that's, have uh, when great. we first started.
0: So you're t- in 2015, you're number one in the world now. Yeah, from 2013 being your first international tournament, 2015 and getting, you know, knocked out in the last 16. That is a huge incline in two years. That's such a short period of time to be going from being... Maybe he's ranked mid, rank mid table in the world to be yeah. number one.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So I had just some really good results. I uh, played a few tournaments in 2014, and I won every tournament I played to up until the World Championships in 2015. Right. So I just went on a really good running streak. I became European champion in 2014 for the first wow. time as well. So yeah, it was just sort of over that time post Dortmund and stuff. We really sort of caught the bug for it and we had rich and we had a proper sort of ta- uh, training structure behind us so my training just became a lot more formalized I, I went to uni as well in 2014 so I joined nice. the high performance school at the uni so I had a proper sort of S&C program sort of built up for me so I was in the gym a lot more so yeah, I, it yeah. was my pro training program was becoming a lot more professional so yeah so that's when I definitely saw the results was, coming quickly do you think it was the,
0: a process then over that two years where just the things that were put into place for you to be able to train and to, to to compete, were that help you get the next level, or was there ever a point where something just clicked and you just went, okay, you know, you said Dortmund give you a real big yeah. confidence boost because you have got the last sixteen yeah but was because it sounds the way you're talking about it sounds like it was just a natural progression you were kind of always going to get that level especially when the right systems are put in place but then you get other people who talk about stuff and it was just something that clicked for them you know maybe things things that they've been doing repetitions of it just paid off but it sounds like yours was just a natural progression
1: yeah, I think it was. I don't think, yeah, I don't, can't remember the time where it just sort of clicked and it all sort of happened. But yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. because it was it was so amateur when I first started, and I had no, I never set foot in the gym when I yeah. first started playing badminton. And I, I was just training on courts and stuff like that. So it was just as like my training got more structured and more formal, and then having just extra exposure to, to tournament play as well, both on the power side and in A-Roddy tournaments uh, around uh, England like it just gave me that experience mixed with like I was just getting stronger because for me obviously with my uh, disability my my left my right side was so weak at the yeah. time that you know, it couldn't really do much I was almost at, when I first started it was like my left leg was sort of my able leg was doing everything and my le- right leg was just sort of being dragged around so the getting nice. like in the gym and stuff and getting stronger was massively making my uh, disabled leg l- like so much stronger just sort of equaled me out a lot more yeah yeah and like help me move around the court and it's like now a few years on like we did a like a health check when I first came with the uh, full-time program and a couple of years into 2019 I think it was after being on the program for about a year and a half two months I'd actually grown two centimeters because I was just when I was young and stuff because I was so weak I just when I was walking I'd just be so lopsided on falling onto my right leg but when I got in the gym and got stronger, I actually grew. So that sort of made a massive difference for me when I was sort of coming up uh in up to like 2015 to get to one and one in the world, it was just making my I was just so much more stronger, and that sort of was massive in power. If you can sort of minimize the impact of your disability on on the sport, like you you, you the sky's the limit for you, really. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, you're talking about 2015 being number one in the world, and you're already a European champion. What happened at the 2015 worlds? Because you must have been in there flying, confident high.
1: Yeah, I, I was flying and the, I was felt so good. At, at, and at the end, when I look back at it, one of the things that bit did sort of affect me or like kill that tournament for me was the schedule like it was just so many matches back to back and I remember my semi-final in the singles I was world number one I lost in three sets but before that match I'd had six matches and I think four of them went to three sets so I was I'd already had about five hours of court time so by by the end of that it was just sort of the energy so it was after that as well I sort of learned the lesson from that I was just like okay the the way the tournament's going, the way the standard of the sport is growing as well because everyone was getting better at a phenomenal rate. It was like, I can't do three events anymore. I had to sort of just like relax, say, okay, yeah, I need to sort of prioritise it one or two because like three events was just, I wasn't going to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve like winning world championship medals and like the Paralympics and stuff like that. I wouldn't be able to do that if I was sort of putting my eggs in too many baskets.
0: I was listening just when you talk there about the fact that you were world number one and you're still on an amateur program rather than a professional yeah. program.
1: Yeah.
0: Do, do you almost think I, I heard someone talking about this on my friend's podcast and he said that he feels that people in England who do sports that aren't necessarily professionally or they aren't funded almost just get left to do that because they end up doing so well at competitions and international events that the funding might never come because people almost look at and go, well, why do we need to invest in a program when they're doing so well anyway? We can just let them keep doing that. Do, 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 was there ever a point where you felt a little bit like that? You're going to national tournament and you've already talked about the Asians being professional. Yeah. The continent. Yeah. And I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I think I always had sort of faith that we'd get sort of, if we started to perform and stuff like that, we'd get rewarded eventually. And luckily we did. And it was sort of the point, the big. Point first in terms of funding was in 2017 before we were fully funded the year before. Uh, we went to a tournament in Japan and uh a few countries that weren't necessarily with us at the 2015 World Championships and before were sort of catching us up and were beating us when they weren't a couple of players were beating us who weren't beating us a few years ago. And and then we were like, okay, well, their countries are catching up to us. So what do we need to do? And we realized that they were in fully funded programs. Right. So we sort of made the decision before we got any official funding that we needed to sort of decide what we wanted and go out to people to sort of reach out and say, this is yeah, what we yeah. want to do. And um, can you sort of support us? And luckily we got a support from a local charity up in Sheffield who gave us, I think about 10,000 pounds to sort of put wow. a program together and stuff like that. So we, we knew that, well, although we were winning at one point in time, like we knew that the sport was growing and we sort of had to get that funding because yeah. I think with all these things in, in a lot of sports, money is massively important. You need to have the right facilities, the yeah. ability to train, the ability to travel to the competitions you need to do to get your, your world ranking up. So we knew that we needed to get funding and we knew that if we could show that we had the potential for success, which we did, we'd be able to get funding, funding eventually.
0: I mean, how did you fund those trips And before you were a professional athlete?
1: so uh bank and mum and dad sort of came in quite quite handy there <laughs> yeah. they were they were sort of amazing at sort of supporting my early stages of my career and, and up to now as well sort of help helping me out yeah, get yeah. To tra- 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 training like driving me to train paying for and then obviously for competitions as well and i got thought very fortunate uh just speaking to local people like I, my county council uh were giving me a grant every year oh, which was which was amazing and I got funding from a few other places when I went to university they gave me yeah. a few thousand pounds to uh, to help fund my training and everything because I wow. think we were working it out year on year that it was costing like nearly 10,000 pounds a year can just, imagine. To, just to support it also it's such an yeah, yeah. expensive thing to do so yes we sort of had to fi- find money from different places until we we managed to get fully funded in 2018.
0: So what was it like then in 2018 when this is announced as a, it's going to be an official Paralympic game at the 2020 games and then you, you get accepted on and and asked to be professional athlete. What's that, what's that like in your life? That must be, it must be life-changing.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. So we actually found out because obviously the sport wasn't in the Paralympics, and yeah. we knew that the bid had gone in for Tokyo because yeah. we, we tried the sport had tried a couple of times. I think it had tried for London and it had tried to get into Rio, but it was yeah. it was unsuccessful because the sport wasn't big enough at the time. But then we found out in 2016 that the sport was going in as one. Well, I think it was the sport as well that the Japanese, the organising committee, that it was their choice of sport they yeah, wanted. So so big over there. So that was sort of amazing. I always remember I was in a, I was at university in a law lecture, contract law lecture, which was sort of quite sort of boring. And as you do, I was sort of half on my phone, half on Facebook, and I was like on the front row, and it just sort of came through on my phone that oh, Bamment has been announced as a 2020 sport, and I was just so sort of excited, and like <laughing> it was sort of just sort of mind blowing. And then I was just like ran out of the lecture, was calling everyone, and it was such sort of an, an amazing, exciting time that I sort of had this opp- potential of an opportunity to yeah, yeah. fill my dream because by then I was sort of not. Sort of giving a hope, but I would sort of obviously I've gone to uni because I thought, okay, I'm going to have to probably get a proper job. Like it's not, I'm not going to be able to do this because the sport's not in the Paralympics. Then to have that opportunity, I sort of then really sort of thought, okay, I've got really sort of maximised my chances because we still had to wait for another year till 2017 for the categories to be announced. So although the sport was in the Paralympics, there was a chance I wouldn't go because my class wasn't in. So, but I thought that doesn't matter. I've just got to put myself in the best shape possible yeah, so if my category is in I, I go on the right foot and luckily it, it did i always remember like we were in japan for a tournament and then i was just sat in the hotel lobby play, playing cards and with a few of the other players from uh scotland i think it was and it came to my phone what category to we in and, and it was my category in my my special specialist event as well and it was just sort of amazing i was speechless that okay now i've really got this yeah, this yeah. opportunity and then then got did, did it that tournament got into even more uh full training and then we were in our sort of setup in Sheffield that we were self-funded ourselves post uh, the game uh post the tournament in Japan and we were waiting for word from UK sport about getting fully funded and I remember we were just playing we we're just knocking it around and then our rich the head coach got a phone call to say yeah we've got funding we've got like one 1.2 million pounds or something something like that and wow. we just sort of stopped and we were just sort of speechless like we couldn't yeah. believe it like we would come from obviously a sport with absolutely no funding at all like <laughs> rich rich doing bike rides <laughs> to, 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 to get us some kit we were like the poorest sport you can imagine fully funding it ourselves but in so much money all of us to make sure we could train properly and go to as many conferences as we could so for them to have like a million pounds of fully yeah, funded, yeah, we could become course. professional athletes, get a salary and everything. Or, grant it was uh, it was an amazing, amazing moment
0: for us all. I can imagine. I can imagine. So, talk about the tournaments leading up to this, and because I'm assuming that you've still got to be ranked so high in the world in order to qualify for the GB team.
1: Yeah so for the um qualification we our qualification period was in 2019 to the beginning of 2020 but with covid it got pushed back yeah, a bit but you had to basically be um top 6 in the world in my category right so it's it's a very high ask so the, yeah, the yeah. year before in 2018 it was just about gathering ranking points and making sure that we had sort of the best world ranks we could and I went into the uh The qualifying year is world number three, world number four, because I've had quite a series of injuries uh, from 2017 to 2019. I I broke my fourth metatarsal in my right foot four times. So, yeah, so I was out for quite a long time. I think my first year on the full-time program, I was either injured or in rehab for like 280 of the 365 days of the first year so wow. I was sort of always rehabbing so I dropped a few places in the world ranking wasn't sure that I'd even be able to get back for qualifying get to qualify cause...
0: yeah I was just going to say were you panicking at one point thinking this is my dream could be kind of kind of over before it's begun
1: yeah like, I was like the first couple of times I did it I thought okay like I've been, never had a serious injury before so I didn't really sort of understand or yeah, or yeah. recognize that the impact it could have long term and so sort of my first couple of rehab programs weren't obviously quite good enough so that I kept re-injuring it and then so I wasn't too over there I did sort of I broke it a few months before qualifying was due to start yeah. and that was sort of the time where I was really starting to get a bit sort of nervous and panic was so just like is this going to stop me from qualifying yeah, yeah. for the games because I felt really confident being world number two or top four in the world i could do it badminton wise but i was thinking i'd I'd hate for me to have that potential and it's just taken away from injury which is obviously the curse that quite a few athletes have suffered from in the past but i didn't want to be one of those statistics so but i got i remember the first qualifying tournament in dubai i got out of the the boot which was obviously protecting my foot i got out of the boot two three weeks before the tournament so i had about two weeks of training Yeah, yeah i went to the first qualifying tournament and Look, I still managed to perform well. When I got to the final, but yeah, there were definitely times where I was I was nervous and that I wouldn't be able to get there. But then, so surely injuries sort of luckily were didn't affect me during the qualifying period, and I, I qualified fairly comfortably in the end. I think by you had to go. It was your best six tournaments counted towards your right. qualification ranking. So there were thirteen potential ones, and I I pretty much almost secured my qualification within four or five tournaments because I managed to get a world silver medal which was double yeah, points yeah. and everything. So yeah, so luckily it went well but it was a very tough year for all of us on the squad. Like yeah. The amount of travel that we, we'd never done that many tournaments in a year and wow. like going to all these different countries and long haul flights to Asia that was quite a common thing for us. So yeah, yeah, so for us to all then qualify for the Games was amazing.
0: No, it sounds phenomenal. Do you think that you would have rehabbed so quickly? I know you've, you've had a few little setbacks in there but do you think your rehab would have went as good as what it did if you weren't on a fully funded program? Because I can imagine once you're on a fully funded program, the rehab, the, the, the support that you get from a rehab point of view, will is it, it will be up another level again?
1: Oh, it's phenomenal. Like the support we get in Sheffield at the EIS, like our physio, Sinead, she's absolutely amazing. And yeah. like the program was so, so well, because the first time I broke my foot, I wasn't on the fully funded program at the time. So I had to sort of do it myself with the help of some, physios at my university and like going to NHS doctors and stuff. And then so that I was like out of the uh, the boot and back on court within six weeks, whereas in wow. Sheffield, when I broke my foot again, I was in the boot for like oh, four or five months. And then I nice. came back and it, and I went, the first time I went straight from doing nothing to back to just my normal training. I yeah, went back yeah. to an hour, now two-hour two sessions. But then, when I started rehabbing in Sheffield, it was like, okay, when you come out, you but you're not going to be out of the boot for, for ages. A lot of the time, I was yeah. on court, just standing still in the boot, hitting net shots or doing yeah, technical yeah. stuff. And I was like, okay, you've got today, you've got five minutes of movement, and then ten, and then every day it would just go up five minutes at a time. Yeah, yeah. So it would still, for me to actually once I'd actually. My injury had fully healed. It was still about five, six weeks before I was actually back into full training like the The standard of the rehab and recovery in a in a full time program like that is just ridiculous, and like nice. having access to to scans and everything that you need and the doctor's support was was amazing and yeah, I think if I was still not fully funded, it going into the qualifying year and I had that injury. It would have been hard, I think, for me to maybe have even qualified for the Olympics yeah, yeah. for the Paralympics because I wouldn't have had that sport, and the, the, the chances of me re-injuring myself would have been so high. Wow,
0: no, I, I, I think it's just an, a, a nice thing to highlight as well—the the, the support and the, the access you have to just world-class facilities. Really, once you become yeah, a professional def- athlete, definitely.
1: And I think it's just like it's the same for us, and it, it's why Britain as an Olympic and a Paralympic team is so successful because we've got such a good structure behind the team behind the team in, in 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 gb is just properly world class like it's definitely like world leaders in every area that you can think yeah. of so and i didn't really sort of recognize that Like obviously i would watch like london and rio and stuff but you don't really think about that side of things and to actually go and experience it and then like you always think wow it's amazing like in london how good we were in the military in rio when we're such a small country compared to like China and the US. But then when you actually see the the process behind getting people to the, to the games, it's just, I came, went to Tokyo and I I saw the medals that we got in Tokyo at the Paris and at the Olympics. I thought, okay, yeah, it was sort of expected just from the support that you get in the background.
0: Wow. That's phenomenal. So what was that? What was it like then when you first of all qualified, then you get told that you've, you're going to represent Great Britain at the Paralympic games.
1: Uh, it was amazing so they in our sport there was you had automatic qualifying spots and bar size, which are basically wild card slots so I was one of the automatic ones with uh Jack Shepard and uh sort of it was just a, sort of quite casual like Rich called me into his office one morning and he sort of just like didn't even say anything he just show me the email to say congratulations Dan Bethel you're invited to the Paralympics and it was such an amazing sort of speechless moment but I couldn't say anything to anyone yeah, yeah. yeah. So you had to keep it a secret because uh the bpa and the uh, paralympic association did a, f- a formal announcing which was about yeah, yeah, yeah. two and a half weeks after i'd find out so it was quite surreal because you sort of you wanted to tell everyone put it all over social media yes I qualified. So you, it was quiet so i could tell like my girlfriend my parents and immediate family We yeah, were i could yeah, tell yeah. no one so there wasn't sort of much sort of big celebrations or anything because we didn't know that we weren't allowed to announce it and also uh martin ruck and kristen cubes the two other athletes on the program they didn't know if they were qualifying yet right qualified yet they had to wait another month and a half two months to to get it so it was sort of a bit sort of we couldn't didn't want to celebrate too much until we found out about the situation about the whole squad and then and then after they got announced we had a sort of a massive party with all our friends and family together in Sheffield and we could sort of like celebrated together as a team. And it was very, a sort of, very sort of special moment that we, we could all come together and do that.
0: Wow, oh, no, it's absolutely phenomenal. So what's it like then when you arrive at your first Paralympic Games? Cause you're a pioneer at the end of the day. You're the, you're the first person from, from our, from our nation to go out there and represent Great Britain at the Paralympic Games for, for Badminton along with the rest of yeah. the, the GB team. How does that feel?
1: so it was amazing and like being the first ones obviously it's a very proud moment so it's a is a, it's a history making moment but then you also yeah. feel have a bit of sort of a bit of added pressure on you, like a sense of responsibility that you want yeah. to obviously put your best foot forward, not only for yourself and for you to go and achieve your dreams of a medal, but for just to, the sports, put the sport on the best footing. So when people first tune, because so many fans of the Paralympics would have been tuning into Bam for the yeah. first time. So you thought you want to be out there performing at your best because you want the sport to obviously grow and like the sports that have a big legacy in the Paralympics. So to put the best, its best foot forward was important to us as well.
0: I mean, yeah, what was it like? Just being out there, being in the Paralympic Village, just being. In, and obviously, it was a very different setup this year because there yeah. was no fans allowed, no spectators. But I, and I, I'm sure it was still amazing just to be around other countries. I know some of them segregated themselves to, to avoid COVID yeah. and whatnot. But and that experience must still be phenomenal.
1: Oh, it was amazing. Like being in the village, like obviously a lot, you've heard a lot of other Olympians saying it was completely, it's obviously completely different games to what they'd experienced before. But for us going in as a new sport, we we had nothing to compare it to. So for us, it was no different. But yeah, it was amazing. Obviously the COVID situation was, that they had very strict uh, protocols in, which worked very well. I don't think there was a case of COVID in the village when we were out there, which just shows how good they were. But it was so amazing, like going to the dining hall and just being around other other countries yeah, yeah. and just from all areas of the world that you don't wouldn't see every day and stuff like yeah. that. It was just amazing to sort of be there and in that environment because being in the the Paralympic Village is is one of the things that you always see on TV when the games is going on and it's one of those sort of milestone moments that you can sort of take off that yes I was there in the yeah, yeah. Pa, pa, the Paralympic Village. I, I think
0: I'd read as well like you you'd be really disappointed you you what you were going for gold. At the Paralympic Games of red and, yeah. and, and, and in I mean, how confident going into those games were you that you would get to that point? You know, you you were so close to getting that gold medal, the silver medal. You yeah. you knew you were going to be around. How confident knowing that you were going to be in that final?
1: I I was pretty confident going into it. I felt like we'd obviously had two years of minimal competitions because of yeah. COVID, and yeah. unfortunately, like our training uh, in. 2020 we were we were locked down in our in our houses oh, yeah. like like the rest of the population so we had to sort of find new exciting ways to keep fit like I was doing I turned the spare room in the house into a gym I was on the exercise bike every day I was doing footwork in the uh in the garden with like my coach on zoom me with a headset in and they were just barking orders at me through through a headset and uh, I got quite a few weird looks from the neighbors and <laughs> Yeah, so it was quite a weird thing, but we felt like we did the best we could. I went back into training in mid-July of 2020, feeling pretty good, like out of the situation. We didn't waste the time. And then like we had a good year's training, no sort of interruptions from COVID, fortunately. So I felt I was in like the best shape of my life going into the games. Wow. I felt so confident about getting to the final. I had good previous results against all my opponents up into the final. And I felt confident, but at the games, you didn't really know. Like it's such a unique experience. We'd never been to a multi-sport event, particularly yeah. one of that that magnitude. So we, you never know what's going to happen. You might, I might have gotten there against playing someone who would never beat me, but I choke and they yeah, yeah, they win, or, or they they rise to the big occasion. Especially in my first match against uh, Daisuke Fujihara from Japan. It's his yeah. home home tournament, his home Paralympics. So he, I'd had really good results with him. Against him over the qualifying period, he hadn't beaten me, and I was hadn't won a set. But he could just have sort of come out and won really, like really taking his chance yeah, and yeah. play, play goal, a gold medal. Like the amount of surprise, surprise results, or people like making themselves known on the Paralympic and Olympic stage is so common. You see it so yeah, often yeah. those yeah, sort of do, underdog yeah. stories. So you just don't know what was going to happen. But
0: I suppose the nice thing against facing someone from Japan in those games is there was no fan support to get behind them.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that was quite quite a nice thing for me, and like, but for him as well. Like, we as a sport, we we played in quite a few stadiums where there were fans, but yeah. for us, massive crowds like us, well, particularly one filling a thirteen, fourteen thousand seat yeah, yeah. stadium, that's not very common for us. So the no fans thing didn't really affect us too much because it was a bit more yeah. like we were we used to in the past. So so yeah, so we were quite. Yeah, that was quite easy to adapt to in the end and uh, yeah i was very happy with how i played throughout the tournament but i do remember my first when i first went on to play daizuki i lost the first i went four love down and it was just i was so nervous it's the most nervous i've ever been for anything in my life like when i like because i was fine the the day of the match it was a late match for me it was like i went on about 10 o'clock at night but the whole day i was fine my prep went well i wasn't feeling that nervous even on the warm side even just waiting in the waiting area to walk onto court i was fine did the warm-up everything was normal and then it was just like the the umpire said love all play and it just it was like i it just hit me like a train like it was just felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders yeah. just like okay wow i'm actually here playing at a pound games and i just, could barely remember how it's a shuttle i went like four love down and i felt good i felt i knew that if i just get get myself into the game like i should be okay and it's just getting that first point was just so massive for me. I was just like, because I knew, because as well, something I didn't realise until after that, I was the first ever British player to play in a Olympic games. Amazing. And and looking back at it now, I was like thinking, thank God I won because that could be a, a question of sport, quiz question for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> Olympians play in the uh, badminton event for gb and it'd be me and he lost so i'm quite <laughs> that, that, that did in the end.
0: how did you get out of your own head then because it sounds like you're very much in your own head the, the fact that you, you fall off down right at oh, the first olympic games for a, yeah. the first gb member ever how did yeah. you get out of your own head
1: <clears throat> to be honest it was like he just he made an unforced error like he just hit it halfway then i won my first point and i knew like the way the points were going in the first four points that i lost i wasn't like it was just nerves. I was just making yeah, yeah. nervous errors, and I knew they were nervous errors. So I just like okay. I just felt like I needed a point. I needed one point to sort of get on the board. Don't lose your first match to anyone. Love, just sort of get 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 yourself going, and just sort of once I've done that, I just sort of like my nerves just sort of calmed down, just yeah, sort of naturally, and then and then we all sort of went through it. Like everyone in the the GB squad had those so initial uh map first match nerves. Like Martin playing against time he had he was talking to me after his match and he said it was like a similar sort of thing like the pre-match nerves he went five six love down and yeah, yeah. then had to work his way back in so yeah it's something that we were sort of expecting and my uh our physio Sinead she played badminton as well she was a very good badminton player she played in three commonwealth games for wow. Ireland so she had had some multi-sport yeah, yeah. Uh, event experience like that and she said that she was always asking like about the prep camp and everything like how are you feeling sometimes i'm fine with that. and she always said to me it's going to hit you at some point that you're yeah. here just be ready for it when it does i was, I was sort of just like playing off like okay Sinead, yeah, yeah. Like, that's not going to happen but then she was spot on and it did so you, it was just about getting i suppose getting it's nice to have that reference really point here. to
0: go back though as well and think actually Sinead told me this was going to happen kind of get out of your own head now and yeah just embrace exactly. the situation
1: yeah so it definitely helped because i knew that the, the shots i was missing to go to lose those first four points it was just nerves I knew it was you no know, and I could think like okay yeah well you think you're at the Paralympics you, you're going to be a bit nervous that's course, what it is so yeah, just, surely. just come on just, just like relax and just work your way back into the game oh, so yeah so that was brilliant. massively helpful so yeah what so,
0: was it like going into the final because I can imagine it's it's a lot easier to deal with nerves when you're winning but coming to a final which is a gold medal game to be Paralympic champion what was it like going into that when it was a close close fought matches as well weren't they
1: yeah it was um it was okay because I had my semi final and final on the same day yeah so like my final was in the morning and then in the uh evening I had the no my semi final was in the morning and I had the final in the evening so it was quite nice to really, like I didn't really have it was quite nice in a way mentally because I didn't have too much time to get think about the final yeah, and get yeah, nervous about it because I was just like okay straight out my semi I was just like well, I had to do the media stuff then I had to uh just go back, eat, do my recovery. And I went straight back to the one. But uh, by the time I had time to get nervous about the final, I was already halfway through my warm-up. So like, it was quite a nice sort of transition to the final. Went really well all my warmth and stuff. And then got to the start of the final. And yeah, there were quite a few nerves because I was playing against Pramavagat from India, world number yeah. one, I was world number two. We played each other seven times in qualifying and i think six right. of them were in six of them were in finals or even seven of them wow. were in finals like we'd always played our last time we played was at the test event in japan in that venue i w- i'd won it in straight set so i right. like, had a bit of confidence going there and right. everyone was talking about that in the media before like even after my first group game um it, they were asking me about pramot and like pramot was on on the same time as the same time as me when i was playing a uh, fujihara and he was playing uh, his a partner or a teammate from India and he was like struggling, but he went into a third set, and they were like asked the media was asking me, Oh, what do you think of And yeah, well, yeah. I was just like, I don't care. I've just yeah. played a match. And I, like, I'm not even thinking about him yeah, to the final. So the, the hype around that match was sort of massive. So there were some like extra sort of nerves because you knew yeah, that's yeah. the match that everyone was sort of what watching and waiting for. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's one of those ones, as you said, you've probably you've probably both beat each other over the qualifying periods, like you said, you'd yeah. beat in the test one. How did you feel when you when you when you didn't win the final?
1: So it was obviously disappointing, but he played sort of the best he's ever played against me. Yeah, yeah. And like he definitely upped his level, and I have to give like props to him for that. Like he really did turn up on the day, and it it was his day on that day. But uh, I was also just quite disappointed with myself in certain areas. Like uh, I gave a few like just cheap unforced errors that I hadn't been doing the whole tournament and stuff like that just like a few like mental blips and let him back into the game when I was 12 or up in the second set, which doesn't normally happen and shouldn't yeah, have happened. Yeah. So there were a few points that definitely I could have done better and, and worked on, but like, yeah, but he played so well, like, and if, cause I did everything that I could do before the final, and in the train leading up to the games to get myself into the best shape of my life. And I was in the best shape of my life. So if someone, if I do that, I mean, I do my best to do everything that I can do to win. And then someone comes out and it's just better than me. Then it sort of makes it a bit easier to lose. A lot easier to accept, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But then, but yeah, so yeah. So I was still thinking like that and I was very proud still to just get a medal first GB Panempoise medal in badminton was amazing. But then it's like the more I think of it, like now the, the more i have time to affect them the more i think of what i did wrong in the final yeah, yeah. as opposed to just him playing well like they're just more like unsatisfied i am with like yeah. the game like how the games ended up like winning a silver medal and stuff and it's just given me more sort of hunger and stuff to come back and get back into training and get better and, and win gold win gold in paris
0: so paris is definitely the the next target so,
1: yeah 100 like i definitely like it's definitely like take one off a bucket list, obviously one going to a Paralympics and then winning a medal. But yeah, yeah. like the big one is I want to win that gold medal. So yes, yeah, yeah. so I'm definitely going into to Paris and I think like, I think I'll go in a lot stronger, having this get experience at the Paralympics. Yeah, yeah. I'll know what it's all about, like what it's like to be in the village, what it's like to have your prep camp before, how to deal yeah, with yeah. the increased public interest and media interest. I've got all this wealth of experience now to sort of go back on. So I definitely think going forward, I can be a lot, lot stronger and then wow. hopefully can, can, go once one rung up the podium
0: yeah yeah that that would be amazing how's life changing since you came back being being a pioneer being the first gb paralympic competitor ever
1: yeah it's been amazing like straight like straight off the bat of like came off the final i was doing interviews on channel four and like yeah, yeah. my family were very excited They were getting interviewed by claire balding on channel yeah, yeah. four like straight after the final so, so like it, the sort of surrealness sort of hit me straight away until until i literally walked off that interview and i went into a drugs test and was standing there having to to win a cup for, for about <laughs> two hours so that's sort of got a bit down to reality very it's quickly but week. then yeah yeah oh well i couldn't go like because you go they take you straight off and you're just so dehydrated yeah of course uh it was funny because I, I was in i went into the doping anti-doping control at quarter to eight and they were like your you medal ceremonies at half eight so i thought 45 minutes i can do that so I thought, okay, I just da- got four bottles of water. I just downed four bottles of water. thought, this will make it go. Yeah, Didn't ha- yeah. Nothing happened. And then I got onto the podium and I could just feel it. Like <laughs> I was like, I- I'm starting to need a wee here. And like the national anthem was going. On. I was just like, really, <laughs> really trying to like, hold, hold it in. I was just like, gave straight off and just like, like, get me to a toilet. And like, I need to do my sample because I sort of mistimed it a bit. So, so yeah, but that was quite a, a funny moment. But yeah, but then when after like the, the games the next few days like i went back on social media because i'd I'd come off social media for the week of the tournament so i hadn't really seen any of the instagram or anything like that my girlfriend was was running it all for me so just to go back on and see all the the messages i was getting messages from people i hadn't spoken to in years like old school friends and old uni friends like one uni friend who i hadn't spoken to in a couple of years and he was just like oh yeah i've taken a week off work so i can be up to watch all your matches and stuff oh like, wow like, that's amazing like, isn't it yeah you didn't really notice the uh the impact that it was having back back home and then to come back arriving at the airport and the whole team all my friends and family and the the whole squad's friends and family had gone down to Heathrow to meet us and we we walked out um, to like a fanfare all the media and stuff was there and it's just been amazing like the reception I've had from people going to my my local village pub and they just sort of arranged to I went over with my medal and the whole sort of village had turned out like 200 people like we weren't really expecting it we were just like they had like the pub had been putting out just a sign book sign (laughs) a board just to say how I'd done like keeping the yeah, yeah. updated and everything like that. So we just, we rang the landlady and said, Oh, that's very, like, thank you very much. We'd love to just come around to the village and, uh, uh, come around to the pub and just, I'll bring my medal just say, thank you and everything. I think her son was going to be there. And like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And then what we, we did that in the morning and then it, we didn't realize the whole afternoon, she'd been running around the village, said knocking on everyone's door saying I'm going to be at the pub at seven o'clock or whatever, oh, me, and, like the whole village came up and the, she, she texted my mum and said, um, could you come round at seven fifteen instead of seven o'clock? And we're like, okay. And like, we've got a, there's a local village Facebook page, and there'd been blocks on the Facebook page, and they were like, okay, what's going on here? Because they're obviously were sorting stuff on there. And our our house is quite close to the pub, and we had the windows open. And you could hear this crowd just gathering. You could hear a load of noise. We were just like listening. it we was just like, what, what, what's going on there? It must be some big event. And then like, yeah, and then just walked out, walked around the pub and to the oh, pub and there phenomenal. were people, people, people on their doorsteps like cheering and clapping and everything like that. I was a bit confused at the start. I thought, oh, was the, everyone's clapping for the NHS or something like that. Like, <laughs> I mean, 1st so I mean, yeah. I've seen the video yeah. on your
0: Instagram. It looked phenomenal. Yeah. Like an absolute yeah. brilliant homecoming and obviously just, it's fantastic to see your local village being so proud of proud of you and what you've achieved i mean as you say it must just must be amazing an, yeah. an amazing feeling
1: it was yeah definitely to know that you're sort of like like everyone's been so like positive about it and like getting loads of messages from those people, particularly the ones I, I've loved is like people with disabilities, people with cerebral palsy and other disabilities saying that they watched me and they, they were inspired by watching me and they want to, want to know how to take up badminton and how to take up power sport in general. So all that's really, like means a lot to yeah. me because I was one of those sort of kids that I looked up to these when I watched in Beijing in 2008, yeah, yeah. I looked up and saw those Paralympians and I was really inspired to be be one of them. So I me suppose to it's lovely that that, now, yeah.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's lovely now when you did back then in 2008 there wasn't a reference point there wasn't an actual physical person where you could go okay badminton's a sport i want to take up I'm, I'm inspired by this person now because it is a paralympic sport you are that reference point you are that person that yeah. people are going to go i remember watching 2020 uh, 2020 i remember 2020. watching 2020 and or yeah. 2021 and and i want to be the next dan the next Dan yeah. Bethel. You know, yeah. it's it's a yeah. phenomenal. I mean, maybe maybe you yeah. won't even take that in yet. Maybe it won't nah. be until a few years' time when maybe you're at the games with some some young person who's come through and want wants to be the next Dan Bethel and they're playing against you
1: yeah no definitely and that's what I, i'd love to see and that's what we're sort of driving for now with the sport like we've we've never had this amount of exposure for, for para so we've really worked hard to get like a proper development structure yeah, into yeah. grassroots to get people in and we always said we'd love to be sitting down in twenty twenty five years time watching the paralympics and seeing power flourishing and the next generation or even next yeah, few yeah. generations of uh, gb players uh, uh, winning medals and stuff like that. And then we can then just really be sat back and be proud that we were there right at the start and we've sort of like left a legacy for for ourselves and for the sport. It's phenomenal.
0: So plans moving forward, is it just straight back in training now and preparing for Paris 24? Because that, that, that isn't far away.
1: Not at all, Yeah. So we're straight back, back back into training. We've got we're back into training uh, tomorrow, and then we've, we've got a bit of time off at the, the back end of this year, which is as important to go and see yeah. friends and family because we were on such strict the months running up to the games, like the first, like, especially June, July, August, we were on full lockdown like yeah, as yeah. the country was opening up and stuff we couldn't go out to restaurants and stuff it was literally go to training go to the shops go yeah. home and like stuff because if you got covid you wouldn't have been able to compete you wouldn't yeah, be able to fly yeah. out so so now we've definitely got a couple of months just to go out enjoy ourselves a bit got some holidays Perfect. books as well which we've I'm really looking forward to and then yeah, it's definitely sort of getting back into training, getting ready for Paris. Cause yeah, as you said, it's not it's not very far away at all. We've got oh. a busy year next year with European championships and world championships yeah. and then we're straight back into qualifying for Paris and then Paris the year after. So it's gonna come around very, very quickly. Fast. So yeah, very so fast. it's definitely getting getting back into training to, to get ready for for the next few years. Oh,
0: fantastic. And what would your one piece of advice be to somebody who wants to follow in your footsteps or just, just get into sport in general?
1: I think for me, like especially people with any sort of disability, or anyone in general, just sort of take every sort of opportunity that comes for you. Like I've, I didn't just play badminton when I was a youngster. I played every single sport, mm-hmm. and it taught me so many different things. You learn different skills from different sports, and that can help you in your future as, as an elite athlete. But yeah, just definitely go out, take every opportunity, and and enjoy it. Because I always think if you enjoy doing something, like all the hard work and everything just comes naturally if you enjoy it because you've got a reason to do it you, you love the sport so yes yeah, so just go out t- take every tr- opportunity that comes with you and yeah just go, enjoy enjoy everything that you do no oh, that's fantastic Dan thank you so much for your time today and sharing your journey with Hobby of a Lifestyle
0: I've, I've yeah, loved well. learning about it and congratulations yeah. again on your Paralympic success
1: yeah thank you very much thank you
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle stay safe stay well and we'll see you next time